We know the beginning of the year can be stressful and cause anxiety for the whole family as you have to establish new routines and figure out the rhythms of new teachers. It can be especially hard if you didn't end the year last year on a great note. This episode is the second of three episodes designed to start your year off right. In this episode, we'll talk about calendaring for success, partnering with your child's teacher, and school transitions. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. Last week, we talked about not being a fireman in your child's academic life and SMART goals. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, be sure to go back to your podcast app and give episode 13 a listen. Today, we're going to chat once again about calendaring, connecting with your child's school, and transitioning between grades and schools, and what you can do to mitigate issues that can emerge. Also, we'll very lightly touch on school supplies. We have so many opinions about school supplies that we'll be doing an entire episode next week just on the do's and don'ts of school supplies. So be sure to listen next week. That episode will also be a gem. So Steph, you and I talk about this idea of calendaring for success a lot. And if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to episode two, Steph, I feel like we say that every week, (laughs) please be sure to go back and do that because we get really specific about why to calendar or how to calendar and how we recommend students calendar. But we talk a lot about calendaring for success because really it is planning for success. We want to make sure to remind you as soon as that school calendar comes out, meaning all the dates off, the early dismissal days, the breaks, if your child is younger enough to still have parent-teacher conferences, all that information that you get on that big school-wide calendar for the year, it's time to sit down and create a time and space for your family to input all those dates into your calendaring system. Now, if you have a younger child, we absolutely still recommend that they're a part of this and that you model it for them. Maybe they read it out loud to you while you write it down in your calendar. If you have a family calendar, absolutely put these dates onto the family calendar so that everybody can be made aware. And then it only has to go in once. And if you have an older student, you can have them put it into the family calendar. You don't have to be the one that does it. Right, Steph? Yeah. And keep in mind, if you're using a Google Calendar, just remember you can duplicate an event. So you don't actually have to put it in all the different calendars individually. Steph, can you talk about what you mean about duplicating an event? Because that's different than calendar sharing, which is the family calendar. Yes. What do you mean by duplicating? So you can take an event and a drop-down menu in Google, you can literally say duplicate event. And that creates another entirely different entry. And then in the drop-down menu of calendar, you can choose which calendar you want it to go into. So if you want it to go into multiple calendars, let's say into your calendar, your family calendar, or let's say you have a younger child who looks at the calendar but doesn't quite put things in yet, then you can put it in that calendar. When I was working with a family in my past life, we had a screen up 
that we actually put the calendar so that everybody could walk by and see what was going on with everybody else. So that might be something... I've seen that calendar. (laughs) That might be something that you might want to do just with a computer screen or just an iPad or you could print it if you wanted and put it up on the fridge if that doesn't work for you. There's a lot of different ways, but... I think it's a really good way to have your child start to learn to check that every day and every morning. And I would recommend it for those who have the littles, as Steph and I call them. If your child wants to have an impromptu play date with a friend at school and they come running up to you and they ask if they can go to so-and-so's house, that can be a great opportunity for you to hand them your phone and your calendaring system and say, check what the plan is for today check what the plan is for tomorrow and tell me what's on the calendar. So you start building that awareness that before you can commit to something, you do have to check the calendar. And that doesn't mean that they get to make the decision once they look at the calendar, but it's that they know that that's actually a process before you can say yes to something. Right. Because as parents, we're running or as educational therapists, we're running through the list of everything that has to happen in the next couple of days in our brains. But modeling that for our students is really, really important. You want to do that think aloud. You want to give them that skill and help to build that awareness and understanding. Now is the time to remember to finish summer reading. If your child hasn't completed their summer reading or hasn't been reading at all, now is the time to do it. We just wanted to give you that little reminder. If your child doesn't want to read their summer reading, have them listen to it while following along. You can also go back to episode 12 where Steph gives us so many ideas about how to encourage reading in your home. Also, you might want to think about counting out how many days you have left before the start of the school year and putting post-it flags into the books so they know how much they have to read every day. That's called chunking and you're doing that kind of executive functioning for them. So what comes along with the beginning of the school year, like we said in the last episode, is partnering with your child's teacher. Let's talk about some ways that you can actually do that besides just sending an email. It's really important if your child has anxiety that you meet with your child's teacher. So you can send an email to your child's teacher in the days leading up to school and they're there because they're getting the classroom ready. Sometimes teachers can send pictures of the classroom, and this can help with anxiety, or you can go there with your child. I know I've done that before. I actually have a student starting today whose parents came and met with me and took a video of my office to show him because he has a lot of anxiety. It really helps mitigate anxiety if you can at least picture the space that you're going to be in. It doesn't have to be a surprise. Back in the day when I was teaching preschool in my former life, we would send pictures of the classroom in that welcome to our classroom packet so that parents could know what to expect when they walked in. I am not interested in a shock value and like that aha moment. And so I was all about preparing these kids for the expectations, what to expect from day one. And you can have them find something that they're really excited about in the video or the picture. Mm -hmm. And then that can really mitigate a lot of anxiety because you're turning it into excitement. Yeah, you're creating a plan for what they're going to do when they come into the classroom. Hopefully what they'll be able to do (laughs) or something that they're going to be able to interact with, depending on the teacher. Yes. If your child has a learning disability or if there is information that you think would be helpful for the teacher to know, 
You can always reach out to connect with the teacher. I actually recommend that you give the teacher a couple of days to kind of settle in with the whole class and start to get to know the students. If you are the type of parent who likes to meet beforehand, keep in mind you're not going to get any feedback from the teacher. They likely don't even know what your child looks like. So giving them a couple of days to kind of get their feet wet with your child. You absolutely can give them a heads up over email, but you want to start that partnership with your child's teacher that's going to be positive, supportive, and collaborative for the entire year. The next big thing is school supplies. Be sure to listen to next week's episode as we really dig in and tell you what we wish all parents knew about school supplies and backpacks. But here's a little sneak peek. School supplies is something that is very big in a child's life. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. wanting to go to the store and getting all the things. I mean, Staples and Office Depot have their beginning of the year back to school sale. We love supplies and pens and I have a post-it collection you would not believe in my office because that's what sparks me joy. (laughs) But we hope you listen to that episode before going to the store because you might be surprised by some of the things we absolutely hate and what you actually need versus what your child thinks they need. (laughs) So a little sneak peek, just a couple of things. The first one is backpacks don't need a million pockets and zippers. So try to get one of those old school backpacks that has less because less is more in this circumstance. There's less opportunity for things to get lost and go into the black hole. Absolutely. The other big black hole are accordion folders. And we hate them. We hate them. And they're big, big black holes. Or there's certain types of notebooks that are black holes for your children. And what do you mean by black hole stuff? Because I know what you mean, but what do you the mean? The black hole meaning Amelia Earhart. Like you go in and you never come back out, right? <laughs> the Amelia Earhart of school supplies. Maybe that should be the title of the episode. I'm sorry, but that's just what I think of. <laughs> okay. They're just you'll never see them again. They won't ever be found. Or if they are, it's too late or they're damaged. We're talking about the student who at the end of the year has 1,500 broken half pencils at the bottom of their backpack, right? Or the permission slip that never got turned in or the check for PE uniforms that never got turned in or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. We're really going to dig into this next week because we have a lot of opinions a lot. <laughs> on this. And so be sure to join us for that episode because we actually think that episode is going to simplify your life and have, the honestly, the biggest long-term impact. Another big topic of this episode is we want to talk about those kids who are transitioning schools. So what we mean by that, a transition year is they are starting middle school, so they're transitioning from elementary to middle, or going from middle to high school, or even going from high school to college. Now, don't stop listening just because your child is not in that zone yet. So even if your child is continuing in the school that they were in last year, this is really an important opportunity for you to hear how we think about these transitions, because eventually your child will be transitioning. So Steph, what would you say about the transition from elementary to middle? Because I think we both agree this is the biggest transition, except for maybe high school to college. Yeah, this elementary to middle, although it doesn't seem and feel like it's going to be one of the biggest transitions, most people think that it's middle to high. But actually, Mm -hmm. the biggest 
difference academically for your child is going to be elementary to middle. And why, you ask? It's because they really back off the support. In elementary school, most students are given a lot of what we call scaffolding, which is a lot of things that are layered on top of each other. It's a lot of, first you do this, then you do this, and tomorrow we are going to do this. Right. So that's scaffolding. So it's a lot of steps. In middle school, they don't give you that nearly as much. It all goes away. So it really, it's kind of like the rug being ripped out from underneath your feet a little bit when you're going from elementary to middle. So that's why this is a really, really big transition for your kids. So make sure that you've toured the campus or they've toured the campus. Sometimes schools do that the last year of elementary school, but sometimes they don't. So maybe you can go and tour the campus over the summer if you need to. Make sure that you're also getting them their calendar situated, whether it's going to be a Google calendar or some online version of a calendar, or they're going to have a physical planner of some sort. There's also setting up their locker, and then there's also school supplies. Make sure that you get specific lists from the teachers. As many teachers will give you exactly what they want and how they want things organized. And that means that they might give it to you after school starts. I was just going to say, so wait on the school supplies. Exactly. (laughs) Wait. Wait. Going back to the calendar, one thing I just wanted to add to that kind of thought is that in elementary school, assignments are typically due on Friday or the following day. In middle school, that completely shifts. You're not often meeting with every teacher every day. And so having that calendar in place where students write the deadline on the day it is due, not the day that it is assigned, becomes really, really critical to success. And I would argue, and Steph, I think you would agree, whether or not a student has their calendar set up properly and whether or not they write their assignments down on the day that they're due is probably the biggest indicator of whether or not they're going to be successful in middle school. It's so true. It's absolutely true. You want to make sure that their class schedule is correct, that it makes sense, that your child is doing if they are a student with a learning difference or have a medical diagnosis that interferes with their ability to function in the classroom. Ideally, they would have the harder classes at a time of day where they are able to do it. For most students, that's first thing in the morning. If your child has anxiety about switching to a larger school and not knowing anybody or not having enough friends, have them find a spot where they can meet a specific friend for nutrition or break and lunchtime so that there's a plan of who they're going to be with during those free times early on in the school year. And that way they won't feel so alone. Yeah. You want to begin the conversation about how in middle school, Sunday is a school night. And Sunday night is about preparing for the week, dealing with homework. And in elementary school, Sunday is a free night for a lot of students. You need to explain to your child that this changes. And yes, it really sucks. It does for everybody. It really does. But you know, as the parent, you're gearing up for your week on Sunday night. Your child doesn't have that experience in elementary school. It is still a free night for them. It really changes in middle school and they're growing up. 
Steph, what would you share about the transition from middle school to high school? From middle school to high school, I think there's a lot of similarities that we've already talked about between elementary and middle. There's touring the campus. There's making sure that you've got your calendar situated. There's lockers. There's school supplies. They're used to switching classes at this point, so the anxiety may be more of a social anxiety than an academic anxiety. So they've already practiced going through one big transition, so this one goes a little bit smoother usually, unless you have a K-8 school and this is their first transition. And if it is their first big transition then go back and use the things that we were just talking about and really make it a point because they're probably going to have the social anxiety and the academic anxiety in this situation. Steph, that's a really good point that not all students are in a traditional, I mean, here in California, we have K through five, six through eight, and then nine through 12. But like me, for example, I went to K through five, and then I went to a six through 12. So I only had that one big transition, which was academic and social. And then I had the high school to college transition, which we're going to dig into now. So the transition from high school to college is really, really big. The hope in high school is that your students' executive functioning skills are really, really strong. So if you want to know what we're talking about when we're talking about executive functioning, be sure to go back and listen to episode five, which is called Executive Functioning and Why Everyone is Talking About It. And you also want to listen to episode 10 called ADHD and Executive Functioning. You can absolutely listen to that episode even if your child doesn't have ADHD because it's still provide some meaningful nuggets that might have an impact. The hope is that they know how to calendar and they know how to manage their time. It's not just about managing their time once they go to college. It's also about managing their money Yes, when they go to college. So it's a huge life transition. So you want to meet with your college counselor so that they can get their class schedule. My tip for rising freshmen in a four-year or in a two-year university, if you're going to the university level at any capacity, is take easy classes that first semester. No 8 a.m.s and no Friday classes. Some people choose not to go to the orientation, and I think it's really, really important that you have them go. I couldn't agree more. They are experts in their own school, And so they're going to walk them through the class schedule and all the expectations and kind of how things work. And it's important for them to see the space that they're going to be in. And socially, they'll meet other kids that they're going to be with. So that's a really, I mean, I remember when I went to orientation, it was really helpful because at least there was a face I knew prior to going. I went for orientation. I was staying in the dorms. I was really uncomfortable with them being co-ed. And ultimately, it, that didn't even have an impact. I stayed in a kind of fancier dorm at Berkeley. But the people that I was around, I would call super Berkeley. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> the people that I was meeting were very excited about wearing tie-dyed T-shirts and Birkenstocks. And so not were you. <laughs> very interested in smoking weed during that weekend. And I was like, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> So I was like, that wasn't me at all. And so ultimately, my own solution to that was joining Greek life, which didn't necessarily mitigate the weed that I was surrounded by, but it did um, 
it it didn't put me with the Birkenstock crowd. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got you. <laughs> That's so funny. It really freaked me out. But regardless, it was a super important experience in terms of planning my four years there because it really helps me to understand what the college requirements were versus major requirements, which I had no idea. But it was really important despite like my social fear. It actually helped guide some choices later down the road for me. For sure. This is a great time to talk to your child about planning for study abroad. If that's an experience that they want, that needs to be talked about in a part of their four-year plan. Planning for your classes and to graduate in four years is a huge executive functioning exercise. But plans are flexible. But knowing what you need to accomplish in order to graduate on your timeline is invaluable. This might be a lot for a student who's just going into the dorms, but these are all components that they're going to need to manage and really parents can't manage it for them right stuff it's totally true and once they get there they're on their own so mm-hmm. you just are hoping that you've set them up but mm-hmm. if you set them up it's much more likely that they'll be able to succeed mm-hmm. so also the living situations making sure they have all the things they need I know that Bed Bath & Beyond puts out a list. I was just going to say the Bed Bath & Beyond list. <laughs> all the things that you need, medications, all of that kind of thing. Making sure that they have the things that are comfortable for them. Knowing where the campus doctor's office is, that's important. Knowing what their meal plan is, where they can go, what time meals are served, money and budgeting. Do they need to get a job? Do they have a car? What's the public transportation in the area? Is their calendar up to date? It's the same thing having to do with school. They put out the calendar on when there's days off and when you can drop a class, when you have finals. When your registration date is. And in each individual class, you get a syllabus, which tells you exactly what you need to do. And I was that student who sat down with all my syllabi at the beginning of the semester, put it all in my calendar immediately. Yeah, absolutely. I was too. And now for our biggest advice. Enjoy these last vestiges of summer. (laughs) Enjoy this time with your family. Luxuriate in the freedom and flexibility that summer brings. Have ice cream for dinner. Take your kids to a movie in the middle of the day. Maybe do a double feature. Have family time and maybe sneak in that one last getaway. We want you to enjoy because as we all know, as soon as the school year takes off, It's a runaway train until May or June. Please don't forget to listen to next week's episode, episode 15, School Supplies, What You Need and What You Absolutely Don't Need. Be sure to join our Facebook group, The Smarties of the Learn Smarter Podcast. We're excited about the community that's growing there, and we love hearing from you guys. We can't wait to see you next week. Have a great week.